How much meat was in Greg's sausage rolls in the first place? Why did the big bopper like Chantilly lace? Happy New Year, Helen! And happy birthday, answer me this. 12 years old, 12 years old, 12 years old. Happy New Year, Ollie. How are your crackers this Christmas, Helen? They had uh, chime bars in them. Yeah, you pull the full set and you get an octave of glockenspiel out of it. Oh, chime bars? I thought you said dime bars. No, that would have been better because dime bars don't make a noise. Whereas a glockenspiel plus four children... That is allowed several hours. Well, what is it with uh, grown-ups not knowing not to give children, young children, musical right? instruments? Right! Fuck's sake! My mum did this the other day. Well, I went to lunch with her and Harvey, and she did that thing that grandparents do, which is quite sweet, really, I suppose, and I guess it's their role, but it's a bit irritating, of just buying him a toy for no reason at all on the way into the restaurant that she could present to him. It's just so she can be his favourite person. Yeah, and I guess it works. That bribery <laughs> works with three-year-olds. But she, she reached into the bag and I saw the Paw Patrol logo. And I said, no, 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 don't do it now. Don't do it now because if you do it now, he's not going to eat his lunch. Let him eat his lunch. And when he goes into the post-ice cream coma, that's when you can reach in the bag if you really insist. So we got to the post-ice cream slump. He started to like roll around on the floor and poke the woman in the next table in the eye. And I said to mum, right, now, now's the time to give him the pointless toy, if you insist. So she reached into the bag and bear in mind, we're in a restaurant where other people are trying to eat. The thing she'd bought him was a flute. Oh, <laughs> Karen. A, a poor patrol branded flute. Since when did dogs play the flute? <laughs> it's a stretch too far to have a dog who is a firefighter who also plays the flute. No, it's, it's a brand extension, Martin. It's like having, um, uh, let me think of an example from your life that you'd understand. Tom Waits branded shot glass and breakfast plate. There we go, yeah. yeah. I reckon I know why grandparents give children noisy toys. Not only for popularity, but also because some of uh, the edges of their hearing may have been rubbed off. I think, seriously, that might be part of it. Or it's been so long since they had to do the hands-on stuff, they've actually forgotten what it sounds like to hear a child blowing on a plastic recorder. But it doesn't take long for you to remember that that is the very definition of hell. That sounds shrill. Oh, it was tough. But it wasn't just a flute, it was a set with a little tambourine. Oh, percussion as well? As <laughs> Why, God? A seasonal question comes from Lizette, who says, Helen, answer me this. Where did New Year's resolutions originate? Mm. Does anyone ever stick to them? Not the majority. Do you have stats on that, actually? A 2007 study from the University of Bristol of 3,000 people showed that 88% of people fail their New Year's resolutions. But you're still, I gather, 10 times more likely to succeed with a New Year's resolution than a resolution made at another time of year. Okay, that's both kind of motivating and depressing for people listening. Yeah, why bother trying anything? (laughs) But it's a natural thing, isn't it, as the year turns around, to think back across the year and to think to the year ahead. It is common to a lot of cultures. Um, You can trace New Year's resolutions back 4,000 years to the Babylonians, where at the start of the year they would promise gods that they would return borrowed things and pay off debts. Mm. Um, Although that new year was in mid-March, it was part of a 12-day festival. They would also reaffirm loyalty to the king. You're just sort of clearing up your business, aren't you? I suppose the Queen's Christmas message isn't all that different to reaffirming loyalty to the king, is it? I mean, for most people, that's the one time a year they see her speak. I've never seen it. What? Yeah. Not even a clip on the news? I mean, I've seen a visual. I just don't care well anyway I, I do watch the speech and it was a boring example even by uh, her standard she doesn't give a shit anymore does she well what was really obvious was that she'd obviously said i can't be bothered to think of 10 minutes this year just 
chuck in some children. And there was three minutes at the end, which was just, you know, Christmas choir, like kids singing Silent Night. Oh, that's the worst. Oh, Oh, I'm so glad I didn't see it. There's always a bit of padding. There's like a bit of her inspecting a military troop or something or a family photo or something that goes on for a bit longer than it should to fill the time. But that was clearly three minutes she couldn't be fucked to think of. She has done dozens of these fucking things. To be fair, we've done hundreds of theme songs and we don't trot out a children's choir when things are getting a bit slow. Yeah, when you hear us do a Squarespace ad with a children's choir, then you like, <laughs> run out of inspiration. Uh, anyway. The Babylonians had them, and then the Romans had them. January is uh, named after Janus, the two-faced god, who looked backwards and forwards, so into the previous year and ahead into the new. Ah, I thought it was Samantha. <laughs> she deserves it. She did a good job <laughs> at the Eurovision. So at that time of year, as in the song by Craig Phillips, winner of Big Brother Series 1, <laughs> the, the Romans were reflective and uh, they offered sacrifices to the god Janus and they made promises of uh, good behaviour for the coming year. Um, and so it continued. I'm actually someone who naturally does do that because it's something that I feel instinctively. It's not because of other people doing it. I'm someone who naturally sort of resets in January. I often, well, actually one of the reasons that we started this show 12 years ago in January was, I, I can't remember if it was me that suggested it, but certainly it's typical of me to say, let's start a new project at the turn of the year. Uh, it just feels natural to me to like try something new. Um, so I, I do tend to spend most of my Decembers thinking, what can I do differently in the year ahead? And I guess my New Year's resolution for the year ahead is actually the same as the one <laughs> that I had at the beginning of 2018, which is... A little bit depressing, really, because it's an admission that I failed, obviously. But it's basically slow down. Don't do so much. Yeah, I think mine's probably speed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's difficult because, Helen, I know that you, like me, enjoy, or not even enjoy, that's the wrong word, can only basically work with a deadline imminent. Oh, yeah. And so there's obviously a usefulness that comes from that energy and adrenaline. But also, I just don't want, like, I don't need that in my life. Like, I'd rather have time to do stuff. Don't be so short with people. Don't, like, read Twitter whilst I'm having a piss. You know, just slow the pace of my life down. That's one of my few pleasures in life. (laughs) So apparently the most common reason for people failing to keep their news resolution is that they set themselves unrealistic goals... Mm. And then the like one of the next most popular reasons is that they just forgot about the resolution. <laughs> but apparently a specific goal is more likely to succeed. So if you said, I want to save more money, that is less likely to succeed than if you say, I want to save £100 a month. Yes. And then you keep track of your expenditure using an app or writing everything down. Yeah. So if my specific goal was don't look at Twitter whilst I'm having a piss, just that one, yeah. rather than generally slow down. I feel like that is achievable. I have actually kept two New Year's resolutions that I can remember. I'm still keeping them from a few years ago when I resolved to read more. So I started keeping a spreadsheet. Oh, that's what Zuckerberg did, isn't it? Is it? Uh-oh. Yeah, Zuckerberg was like, this year I'm going to read a book a week or whatever. And because he had the incentive of putting it all on Facebook, he's, he stuck to it as well. Oh, right. Not Zuckerberg. This year I'm going to invade your privacy even more. And I've got a spreadsheet with all the ways how. <laughs> well, anyway, I've, I've read this year the most books that I've read since I began the spreadsheet in 2011. Partly because I was in hospital with nothing to do for for a while. (laughs) That's a resolution to do something that you do enjoy. Yeah. It's the opposite of the keep fit resolution, isn't it, actually? So I'm going to have more time to do something that I want to do. And the other thing was not to click on mail online links. And I've kept to that for many years. Mm. So would recommend that. That is easier to do than you think. Because you think, oh, casual internet browsing, it's harmless. And yeah, Mm. they're making money. What would you do if someone quoted you in a mail online article? Would you look to see what you'd said? No, couldn't. 
resolution. What if what if someone tweeted you and said, "Hey, at Helen Zaltzman, you won't believe what Mail Online have written about you." Link. I'd say, "Can you send me a screen grab so I don't break my <laughs> 2013 <laughs> resolution or whenever I made it?" But then they're clicking on the link to make the screen grab, so the net result is still one more sale. But I suppose they've already clicked, yeah. so it's not a new cookie. Yeah. You could probably like open an incognito browser or some shit, but I mean, no, because you know. it's not incognito to me. The yeah. resolution keeper. <laughs> My name is Anthony. I'm currently living in London, but just moved here from Australia. I'm a long-time listener of the podcast, and my question is this. Years ago, you guys were talking about your parents' fashion choices, and one of you mentioned that your father bought a gilet and wore that, essentially, for the rest of their lives. What the fuck is a gilet? I don't even know how to spell it to Google it. Can you help me out here? This has been bothering me for years. Thanks. I like that he spent such a long time being bothered by himself before bothering us with it. Yeah, I mean, years ago we talked about that. It was me, it was my dad. Whose trademark look was a sand-coloured gilet. Yes, he visited a branch of Banana Republic in Beverly Hills and uh, bought his entire wardrobe for the next 30 years in essentially one or two trips. Anthony, we can put these years of worry at rest. Firstly, gilet is spelled G-I-L-E-T. It's a word from French, and it means a padded, sleeveless garment, which would be very useful to you as an Australian experiencing British winter. That's interesting, because I assumed that the defining characteristic was its sleevelessness, in definition of a gilet. Mm. Padded, you know, if you, I mean, this of course has become a topical word again, thanks to the gilet jaune in France. Uh, They are protesting, aren't they, wearing roadside assistance type gilets, which I assume aren't padded. They're just uh, neon, aren't they? They're thin material. Well... But they're still called gilet. Gilet, as imported from French into English, is basically padded sleeveless garment. Like body warmers. They were called body warmers when we were younger, but I'd imagine they're called gilets now because it sounds more sophisticated. In France, uh, the word has been around for a long time. In the 19th century, it was a decorative waistcoat. And so it just means waistcoat in other places. But here we would say waistcoat if you meant something that was non-padded and sleeveless. So what you're saying is, so the English-speaking world thinks of gilet as padded and sleeveless, but in France, just sleeveless. Yeah. Like in Britain, that used to be called a jerkin. (laughs) Back in olden times. (laughs) Did it. Technically, the one that my dad used to wear... Uh, was called a hooded bush vest. <laughs> uh, I didn't know it had a hood. It didn't. I don't know why it was called that, because you're right, it wasn't hooded. But it, it, I, I found this out because I was curious about this shop in Beverly Hills that I went to with my dad, this branch of Banana Republic, because it was so different to what Banana Republic has become as a brand internationally now, which is kind of sleek and bland, basically. Um, and I remember that it was like jungle-themed, and had giant life-size giraffes in it made of plastic. Wow. I was like, that is that the same company? Anyway, I looked into it, and it was originally when Banana Republic was formed, they sold repurposed military costumes. So they had, like, Israeli paratrooper knapsacks and stuff. Hence the name Banana Republic. It was like army... Could people forget, but there was, like, a safari army trend in the 80s, like Indiana Jones and Romancing the Stone. And the hooded bush vest was part of their original lineup of clothes. So this is like, for people who are fans of the original Banana Republic before it got bought by Gap and turned into something else, there's, there's, there are like websites dedicated to the gilet that my dad wore as like an, <laughs> a fashion icon, which is hilarious. Adam in Yorkshire asks, Ollie, answer me this. Mayonnaise packets at McDonald's. Why is it not a thing? Why, God, why? why? 
I, it's outrageous. It's in the fucking secret sauce. It's on the flipping McChicken sandwich. The place is drenched in mayonnaise, and yet you cannot get mayonnaise. It doesn't make any sense. How is this such a popular restaurant chain when they've deprived you like this? I find it absolutely baffling. They sell it, by the way, in France, McDonald's, in Spain, McDonald's, and in Portugal, McDonald's. Mm. You can go in and you can get mayonnaise, but not in British McDonald's. Why? Well, I mean, I do know the answer. I can answer why. Okay, why? It's really dull. Okay, uh, <laughs> good. That's what I was expecting. So, a uh, Mook spoke person uh, told Cosmopolitan, <laughs> who last looked into this, quote, what we offer in our restaurants is based on customer demand. We don't currently have any plans for mayonnaise to be made available. But how would you know? Because in Britain, people would be too polite to say, give me mayonnaise when mm. it's not being offered. Well, I, I, there is a change.org petition uh, to bring mayonnaise McDonald's. Oh, well, those are highly effective, aren't they? Um, and that's had uh, 1,824 signatures, mm. which I think qualifies as piss poor. Really. Yeah, it's not enough. So I think, I mean, as usual, McDonald's have probably got it right. I mean, probably their target audience don't care. But I am telling you now, McDonald's, that I would go there twice as often. Like, at the moment, I basically only go if I'm with my, my toddler and he wants McDonald's. Or if there is no other choice. Does he like mayonnaise as a nearly three-year-old? Is he into that yet? Yes, of course he does. He's a man, as in an M-A-N-N. You can take the mayonnaise out of the boy, but you can't... I don't know. Yes, he does. You can't spell mayonnaise without man. (laughs) I bet you get that a lot. You can spell mayo, though, without man. But why would you? I just think I would sometimes, perhaps... Well, no, I wouldn't. I'm lying to myself, Helen. I was about to say I would choose McDonald's over Burger King if they sold mayonnaise, because Burger King does, but I wouldn't, because Burger King's clearly better. So the only scenarios in which I'm in McDonald's, I'd be there anyway. Why don't you just take your own mayonnaise? I assume you keep a jar in the car. (laughs) I keep a jar in the condom pocket of my jeans, for all occasions. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently the tip is, if you, like me, really want mayonnaise when you go to McDonald's, because obviously, um, the tip is if you ask nicely certain... Mook employees will fill a Sunday top, as in S-U-N-D-A-E, mm. with mayonnaise for you. It's by no means certain, but if you ask nicely, they have the they have mayonnaise. It's just not in little portions that they can put through the till, but they have it for the McChicken sandwich. So you can say, "Can you put a bit of that McChicken mayo into the Sunday top?" Wink. Also, what's weird is the sources that they do have available. Like, if the reason is customer demand doesn't want mayonnaise like does customer demand really want like because obviously they do barbecue fair enough how do customers know ones... until you put it in front of them exactly because one of them is that weird sort of quasi chinese one isn't it sweet and sour like how many people really say oh yeah fry sweet and sour sauce please i just can't believe that's more popular than mayonnaise i think there's got to be some dark conspiracy here ollie there usually is it'd be so easy for them to do it or at least to, to do a trial to see how much customer demand there really was for mayonnaise, a classic condiment to have with chips, a thing that they sell. So I think they're deliberately withholding it. For why? Couldn't say. It makes me angry. I'm so sorry to bring this painful subject up. No, it's all right. It's all right. I mean, I'm glad to have an opportunity to speak about it. I mean, if I ever met face-to-face the person whose decision it was to withhold mayonnaise from sale in McDonald's... You'd pick them up by the scruff of the neck... And then cry right into their mouth. No, I'd, I'd want to sit down and really understand where they're coming from. Like, I'd, 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 I, I can't comprehend their worldview. If you've got a question, then email your question. If you've got a question, then email your question. Would you answer me? 
answer me this podcast at googlemail.com answer me this podcast at Time for a question from Helen in Oxford. What? You, back in your university days uh-huh. when I first met you? <laughs> Time travelling? <laughs> no. Um, and she says, uh, Ollie, answer me this. Why do you keep hanging out with me? I've made it quite clear I see you only as a colleague. Uh, would you... <laughs> Ollie, can I watch Neighbours in your room this lunchtime? <laughs> she says, would you rather be a butcher, a baker or a candlestick maker? <laughs> I'd quite like to be a baker. Wow. Um, okay. Well, hold on. Actually, before before you answer the question, we, we should actually explain the context for for those uh, international listeners unfamiliar with the rhyme "rubber dub dub." Right, the current version of "rubber dub dub." <laughs> what? Not the remix by N Dubs. <laughs> oh my god! I'm surprised that's not happened. the The common version that we grew up with was "rubber dub dub." Three men in a tub, and who do you think they be? The butcher, the yeah. baker, the candlestick maker, and, and all, all of them, them out, out to see. see. However. Right. That is a version as sanitised in the Victorian era because Mm. the rhyme in its earlier form from the 15th century was rub-a-dub-dub, three maids in a tub, and who do you think were there? The butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, and all of them gone to the fair. Oh my God, how risque is that? I feel solid just by hearing that. Let me break it down. Three maids in a tub. The tub was a strip show or peep show that was an attraction at a travelling fair and those three professionals were watching it and being shamed for watching it by the rhyme. Wow. So it's basically saying, you'll never guess who's ogling naked ladies, these respectable professionals. Yeah. Right, so it's it's like saying, rub-a-dub-dub, who's on Pornhub? It's only the social (laughs) media brand manager. <laughs> I don't think the rubber dub dub means that they are rubbing one out whilst at the peep show. I think the rubber dub dub was a kind of tut tut analog. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. But the point is you'll never guess who's looking. Yeah, right. And so right. the Victorian sanitized version I think is just trying to make it like a nonsense song where these three people are in a tub which was a boat and floating out to sea. Fine. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, that's that's where we get this grouping that English people are aware of: butcher, baker, candlestick maker. I've never yeah. given it any thought before, so thank you for enlightening me already. Not even in the same union, those three professions happening <laughs> exactly. in different buildings. Not even on the same high street these days. Yeah. Yeah. So, but but okay. So to return to your answer, please okay. go ahead. My choices. Okay, butcher. I'm going to say no. That is a difficult profession. I, I've known butchers and um, they had a lot of scars from flying bone chips. Yes. I don't think I would enjoy being around the smell of raw meat all day. Yeah. I can't justify it environmentally. Mm-hmm. Baker, sometimes I do think about that, but uh, it's very early mornings. Whoa, whoa, whoa. When you say sometimes you think about what, like serious backup plan? No, frivolous backup plan. Right. Because I know that it's actually a hard job that I would probably suck at because you see I'd, I'd, I'd enjoy making bread and stuff but I don't think I'd be a good enough baker for the Great British Bake Off era of baking candlestick maker uh, I think that would be the one because I do like making things and I am more interested in candlesticks than I am in candles which I don't particularly like and of course you'd be following on in the uh, parental tradition of uh, being a sculptor of some kind. Yeah, but my dad makes his sculptures out of wax, so you could say that they are expensive candles that cost several thousand pounds, but um, don't burn them. I think I would go candlestick maker as well, um, because actually, leaving aside the lifestyle element, um, you know, we've spoken before on the show about the bijou rise of scented candles, Mm. but actually the sticks 
haven't changed a great deal in the last century, have they? There's not the same range of sticks as there are candles themselves. Do you think? I think there's a tremendous visual variety in candle sticks really? and other supporting really? Where? items. Where is this tremendous visual variety, Helen? I don't see it. Well, some of them are, are twiddly, some of them are minimal, some of them are concrete. You can get a lot of fancy menorahs. Yeah, but these are not disruptors, Helen. Who's, who's going to come along and do the candlestick for the 21st century? That's what I'm saying. Well, you know what disrupted the candlestick? Fucking proper lights. Lamps. That's like, who's yes. disrupted candles? Candles are basically the same. It's just they don't smell of beef anymore. Nonetheless, I think there's probably, like, if you did it right, if you got the website, you know, candle.stick or something, <laughs> you know, it could be that if the candlesticks are so trendy, people buy the candlesticks without even having a candle to put in them. Then they have to buy a candle. Then the candle makers are like, oh, my God, we've got to keep up with candles.sticks. You're from a long line of butchers. That's true. Did it skip a generation with you? Uh, <laughs> well, my dad never enjoyed being a butcher. Like, my dad uh, inherited um, with his sister the butcher shop from his father, which is still uh, open now and a family business in Edgware, Louis Mann and Son. Go check it out if you're in the area. They do some <laughs> excellent chopped liver. My dad never enjoyed working there, really. I mean, I think he enjoyed being with his family. I think he enjoyed a bit of the lifestyle mm. of, like, owning, being part of a family business because it meant that he could go out in the evenings and sort of choose his own hours to an extent. But you had to be up very, very early in the morning to go to the meat market. As you say, everything stinks of meat. Um, even though he was at the level where I don't think he was literally putting his hand up chickens. You know, he, they, they, there are butchers on site who do the actual butchering. Uh, he was in the butchery business, and that involves handling a lot of raw meat, talking to the general public about raw meat. <laughs> and I don't think it was something that ever really appealed to him. And that's why he started his business selling vintage cars out the back of the butcher shop. So, wow. Um, Did you get, like, free sausages if you bought a Bentley? <laughs> I mean, I'd think about buying a Bentley if you got some triple otters. You could just buy some sausages. So it was always made very clear to me that he didn't see his time as a butcher in the most positive way. So, you know, it never really appealed to me. Although I do actually quite like the idea of providing a need. I mean, that's the thing about... That's the only thing I think the butcher and baker have over candlestick maker. Mm. Um, candlestick maker, I think, is the business case now. Uh, baker, I think, is a bit done. Like, everyone wants to be a baker. Everyone starts up cupcake businesses and stuff. But, like, obviously it sort of can work. But I think butcher and baker, at least people are always hungry. You know, people are hungry, so at least it's a thing people want. And if you got together then you can make um, bacon sandwiches. Not the kosher butcher, obviously. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, exactly. Or pastrami sandwiches, pastrami on I wonder whether anyone playing on the popularity of this riddle over centuries has created a shop concept which is housing all three under the same roof. Well, basically, borough market. Yeah, sure, but that also includes other things like, uh, you know, freshly ground coffee. But what if the shop just sold meat, bread and candlesticks? But I think the conflict you have, if you've got the smell of raw meat and a scented candle, yes, which scent is going to win? Because obviously the nicest smell of all of those, I think, is the freshly baked goods. Yes, I, I think, I mean, various shops pump in the scent of bread, don't they, to disguise the horrible smells that are actually going on. Whereas Subway pumps in a more horrible smell than the food would create on its own. In the 90s I hired a 12-person web team To build and run my websites and I realised my tech dream Then the dot-com bubble burst and I had to drown them in a stream Why didn't I just sack them? But now, thanks to Squarespace, you can do it alone And build a lovely website for tablet or smartphone Enjoy it now, cause in ten years you'll be replaced by a drone Just like Terminator 3
This episode is sponsored by Squarespace, your one-stop shop to create and maintain your own website. And if you've got a promotion running on that website, what you have created, uh, you can tell people about that promotion really easily by creating a pop-up. Not an irritating one, but like a nice one that's like, hey, get 10% off or hey, check out our new thing. Oh, right. And it's really easy to do. So you go to mysnazzywebsite.com and uh, it's like, hey... For this month only, you can save 10% on my snazzy website's special snazzy snacks. Yeah. And then you have to dismiss it if you don't want that. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Or you can do an announcement bar at the top, which is a bit more full on. So that's like, guess how snazzy we are! Like, either one. <laughs> 100%. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's a, it's a nice little feature, that, because um, yeah, in real life, when you're using other people's websites, you obviously don't want loads of promotional pop-ups. But when you're creating your own website, you want to get in people's faces with your stuff. And they make it really, really easy for you to do that. And then when the promotion ends, turn the pop-up off. There are many, many functions of a Squarespace website. One thing I like is that you can check how it's looking on desktop and tablet and phone. All from the same place. Yeah, just by switching between different views. So if you think, ah, oh, I've done some pretty sweet layout business for desktop, but let's just check that it's not a hot dog shit on mobile. Yeah. You can just check in a click. And if you want to create your own Squarespace website, and after this talk up, frankly, who wouldn't? <laughs> you can get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain by going to squarespace.com answer. And using our discount code answer. answer. Here's a question from Johnny who says, Helen, answer me this. Why is it called the Edgeware Road? I mean, he means, why is the Edgware Road called the Edgware Road? Not, you know, his pet name for a part of his body. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> could be, he could call his uh, rectum the Edgware Road. <laughs> With marble arch at the end, his sphincter. Is it on the brown line? I can't remember. Why is it called the Edgware Road, but not the Regent Street or the Bond Street? That's a point I've never thought about that before. Mm. Well, I think uh, quite a lot of roads are like that, uh, like the Cowley Road in Oxford, where we both used to live. Mm. And I think that is a thing that informally comes up when the road is named after a place. Yes. I was thinking this because like the Harrow Road is also the Harrow Road in London. Yeah. So roads going to a place, whereas Regent Street and Bond Street are not named after places. No, they're named after the Prince Regent and I don't know what Bond Street's named after. Named after... James Bond. Michael Bond. Landowner Sir Thomas Bond. He developed that area in the 1600s, so he gets his own fancy street. But how did he like his martini? He liked it uh, incredibly expensive and built over farmland. And also Edgware Road is um, a neighbourhood. So maybe you'd say Edgware Road when you were naming the road, but you'd say the Edgware Road if you're like, oh, it's up around the Edgware Road. You mean that neighbourhood. Whereas I'd say Regent Street and Bond Street aren't really neighbourhoods. And even Oxford Street is not really a neighbourhood. But um, does the Edgware Road or Edgware Road go all the way to Edgware? It goes all the way to Hollyhead in Wales, Helen. It's Well, it's part of Watling Street, but is it still called Edgware Road when it gets to Edgware? Uh, yes, it's still called Edgware Road when it gets to Edgware. And then you're right, yes, I suppose it's called Watling Street roundabout Radlets and Albans, isn't it? I don't know what it's called between Edgware and there. It's just like a series of roundabouts and mini-golf places. Because Oxford Street is definitely not called Oxford Street all the way to Oxford. True. This is Philip from Berlin. Helen and Ollie answer me this. Who takes Instagrammers' photos for them? Do they have friends whose like job it is just to take their photos all day or uh, girlfriends and boyfriends who do it for them and don't mind uh yeah so 
who takes i mean it just sounds awful so who takes instagrammers photos i mean there are as many different instagrammers as there are people in the world i mean not literally <laughs> but there are there are a lot so it's hard to generalize i imagine yes you know, there's a, a huge diversity of different ways people take their instagram photos i know somebody who is an instagram fashionist she gets her boyfriend to take her photos and she says most bloggers do and what she does is take pictures of several different outfits at once mm. which takes half, half a day and then each day she'll post one as if it was just taken yeah because that's the weird thing about instagram isn't it because it actually even in the way the app was designed i actually hardly ever use it but um i did actually interview the guy who invented it <laughs> when i used to make a podcast for the guardian about technology so i was talking to him about it and it was designed so that you couldn't store a photo and then upload it initially i know it's different now mm. but it was all about basically taking the picture through the app and uploading it instantly and it was very much about this is what i'm doing now um, mm. and the way it's designed still it kind of suggests it's what happens now except it's obviously so heavily edited and curated by the people that are posting to it isn't it and also uh, my source said that an awful lot of the fashionistas borrow a lot of the clothes they don't own them so they get a variety of outfit, but they're not actually wearing that around all day. They'll be lent it by a fashion showroom. It's a weird world, isn't it? I mean, it's no weirder than being a model in the old days and being employed, you know, by a fashion magazine to pose for a photo wearing an outfit. But it just, I, the fact that people self-publish it is just, I don't know, it feels odd. It is different to that because you are effectively the magazine yourself. Yeah. And the stylist. I suppose it's just cutting out a lot of the other distribution mechanisms and editorial mechanisms. But then, so so her boyfriend does that, but she do, she spends half it. So is it in a professional studio? It's like street photography, right? And like there are certain walls yeah. in places like <laughs> Brooklyn that will crop up in a lot of different people's photos if they're like a particularly good colour, where the outfit pops, or they've got an interesting mural that doesn't compete with your outfit. Yeah, I remember watching an episode of The Kardashians, and when I say watching, I mean absorbing, because I was in the same room as it happening when my wife was watching it. And there was a scene where one of them, I don't know, was it Kim? Probably got to Japan, I think, and then was um, basically in her stretch limo chaperone thing, driven to a wall in a city so that she could do a street scene thing wearing her clothes that she needed to put on Instagram. And she literally got out of the car with her camera crew from E, <laughs> took the picture next to the wall in a street scene on a mobile phone and then got back in the car. Whoa. So, I mean, it was like a heavily produced, itinerized diarised showbiz event but it had to look like a street scene you couldn't simulate it in a studio hello helen and ollie and martin the sound man it's lucille from coventry answer me this who designed the orange basketball the person in question is apparently tony hinkle who was a coach at butler university in indiana for nearly 50 years uh, the basketballs used to be brown and um, Hinkle thought that this colour was difficult for the players to see and also difficult for the fans to see. So he thought, let's make the ball a colour that anyone near the basketball court can easily see. Let's make it orange. And in 1957, he and the Spalding Company that make balls developed a new basketball and the orange coloured ball made its debut in the 1958 NCAA finals in Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, see, I would have thought maybe it was because orange was closer to the natural colour of rubber or whatever they make the balls yeah. out of. I mean, I knew it was a dye, obviously, but I thought it would be an easier colour to achieve than pink, for example. But is that nothing to do with it? I thought that too, Ollie. Our minds are in concert. And yet Tony <laughs> Hinkle was driven by a different car to Ideas Town. Okay. 
Uh, I like the idea of making it so that the whole audience can see. It's a bit like the Queen wearing bright pastel colours, isn't it? Oh, she knows what she's doing, doesn't she? Yeah. And yeah. a flamboyant hat. As you know, I hate sport of all kinds. Yeah. But um, if I was ever going to be a professional sportsman... <laughs> <laughs> and it's only a small if. Indeed. <laughs> I think I'd put darts in number one, but uh, basketball in number two, I think. I don't hate basketball. Darts, there's a lot of maths... Are you sure you're ready? Yeah. I'm not saying I'd be good at it. I'm saying, like, if I had a choice, if someone, you know, made me be a sportsman, I'd, I'd say, OK, I'll try darts. And then second place, basketball looks all right. Now, bobsleigh, because you just have to <laughs> sit in the bobsleigh. But actually, I feel more confident that I could be a basketball player now, because um, I interviewed a man with dwarfism recently, and he told me he was a really enthusiastic basketball player in his teens, and that's what he wanted to do professionally. And I said, of all the sports, like, surely that's the one where you have to be tall, isn't it? And he said that's a massive misconception. There's, there's, there is. It, obviously, if you if you're the person shooting the hoops, you probably do have to be tall. But there's a position you can play. I can't remember which because not interested in sport. Where it doesn't matter. It's all about passing to other people hmm. or being the fly boy or whatever they call it. Fly boy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd I'd be that. I'd be that. So because I am tall, but I'm not tall yeah, like basketball players. But all. you do have a bad shoulder. I do now, but you know, maybe if I was 19 and I started out on my basketball career, it would be a shoulder as strong as an ox. Do ox have strong shoulders? I don't know. I assume they do. Yeah, I'm assuming if your shoulders were so strong, you wouldn't have dislocated one falling over on the way to your ski lesson. No offence. Um, <laughs> have you ever played basketball in any form? I guess as a girl growing up in England, it would have been net. Yeah, we have to play netball, which is like basketball, but uh, very, very still. And you're not allowed to run with the ball and you're not allowed to go into the entirety of the court. Right. So, I mean, I know the whole kind of gendered sports thing is a bit odd anyway, but why is netball outside and basketball's in? I never understood that. Like the boys at my school were playing basketball, the girls were playing netball, and the girls were outside in the winter. What's that? Sadism, that's what it is. Why? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, does it? I don't know. I'm sure it does. There must be a sporty reason, but it feels weird. Yeah. Because people practice basketball outdoors, don't they? Like in Father of the Bride, where yeah. they've got that basketball hoop outside in their posh house. See, I've seen basketball listeners. I just don't understand sport. Yeah. Or well, they're in the video for Baby One More Time. Oh, is there basketball in that? She's, I've ba- she's bouncing a basketball. So in the third me. act, yes, she when is. everyone's dancing and the teacher comes in, looks very cross, and realizes it's a really good song, starts dancing. It's all happy. She's actually, yeah, she's she is uh, bouncing the iconic orange basketball. Tom Frederick Hinks, or whatever his name was. Tony Hinkle. Tony Hinkle. <laughs> his real name wasn't Tony. Uh, it was something completely unrelated. But um, apparently, he loved to eat Italian food, so someone gave him an Italianate nickname. Isn't that the shittest reason? I think it's sometimes worth persevering with these answers to get to the nugget of information like that that for some reason will stick with me forever. Hey, pasta guy, Tony. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) How many social networks are you on? The old friendster path you pawn. MySpace, Ping and Want to be our pal? Go to this URL Facebook.com slash answer me this Or Twitter.com slash Helen and Dolly But please don't follow us in real life Here's a question from a man who calls himself Sadluck and is in Canada. Sadluck says... I had this beautiful girlfriend, smart, godless, funny, and we made each other quite happy. What does he mean by godless, actually? Does that mean atheist? Yeah, I think they both match in their beliefs. Fine. 
together for five and a half years, lived together for over three years, been to Cuba twice. That's a proper relationship, isn't it? It's long term, serious. She is a studious, career-minded individual, Bachelor of Science degree, working in insurance type. Okay. I'm a Jeff Lebowski type. Uh, I remember absolutely nothing about the big Lebowski. It's done quite a lot. Okay. I was working as a bouncer at a gay bar, painting acrylics in the evenings. When I met you. And not achieving all that much, except making her laugh every day and a few great home-cooked meals. Think of me as a stay-at-home comedian. (laughs) Her age is 26. My age, 31. Uh In my life, I've backpacked abroad and had a blast. She had not travelled much aside from leaving her home country, which she does not specify, to come to Canada, Mm. which is where we met. Mm Mm-hmm. So she left in December 2017 on a working holiday visa to Australia. Oh, I'm feeling sad violins coming in now. He does call himself sad luck, so... He does. I had already been to Oz and used up my visa when I was 18. In her absence, I gained a lot of weight, drank more than is sensible, and began playing the lottery in the vain hope of winning and reuniting with her. Oh. Two weeks ago, I won. $100,000. $100,000. Whoa. Wow. Whoa. Yep. I didn't see that coming at all. A hu- you what? $100,000 by playing the lottery and drinking too much. What a great advert. <laughs> this is enough to clear my debt, put a solid nest egg away, and go find my lady in Australia. Yay. Okay. Yeah. Because the flights from Canada to Australia, I had to cancel one because of the hospital thing, about $1,000. He's, he's got it. Except yeah. tonight, she told me she's still trying to find herself and still sees me as an underachiever. Hello, I just won the lottery. I mean, that's, that's not, not so an, much an achievement yeah. as a piece of blind luck, isn't it? Yeah. I'm not fit yeah. for her future. Oof. I understand her that's perspective, but tough. I thought we could do anything if we were together. And is she oh, saying... No, this is going to be, I understand, I understand her perspective, but I'm still going to trample all over it and insist I'm the one. That's what this is, isn't it? Because you were together, yeah. but you said that you didn't do anything. Mm. Yeah. And I I empathise because I feel like I've spent a lot of my life um, older than you, sad luck, not doing enough. Sure. So... I mean, I technically don't have a job. I mean, not just technically. You're on a gap here, Martin. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so I played and played, hoping to win, to win her back. I won mm. and still lost her. I mean, you're very good at summarising the story of your own life into yeah. a movie trailer, but I'm not sure that's going to help <laughs> you get her back. In a world where winning the lottery isn't a matter of achievement... He's won the lottery, but can he win her back? This shit is writing itself. Yeah. Ollie, answer me this. What now? I mean, from the way that we're approaching your email, the thing to do would be a big final act of a film, fly to Australia, put on a big romantic surprise, who could resist? But the worry would be you'd get there and she's like snuggling up with some other person on a working holiday visa to Australia. Yeah. Have you seen Call Me By Your Name? Yes. I haven't. Right. That final scene. That's oh my God. Spoil it. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just, I'm not, not, no details. Just okay. worried that that final scene is what's going to happen if you go to Australia. Well, that means that sad luck is going to be in a lot of gifts. <laughs> yeah, sad luck. Imagine being just as cute as Timothy Chamolet. People will compare you to a panda. That'll make it worthwhile. And also that is a fantastic shirt he's got in the last scene. Sure. And he's Fine. about to have dinner with his parents. Those people eat very well. In that film. They do. And a cracking 80s soundtrack. You know, it's not so sad after all. I guess the thing about winning $100,000, amazing though that is... It's not enough to retire for the rest of your life, is it? 
No, and I feel harsh saying that to you, sad luck, but it isn't. Like, let's be honest. It is a life-changing amount if yeah. it helps you buy a house or whatever, but it's not actually changing your life in the sense that your direction is still coming up Lebowski, isn't it? You yeah. know, her concerns for you are that you don't have a proper job. You um, are the kind of person who, when spurned, drinks too much and plays the lottery. And this isn't changing that. This is uh, sort of confirming that bias that she already feels about you. So I, I like you. I sense a lot of, about your character from your email. You're very self-deprecating. You're funny. Um, I can see why she might have liked you as well. But it sounds like she knows you're that person. You know, there's no point changing to try and uh, convince her because she loved you as you were. She's just decided you're not right for her. And I worry that you're not. I'm not sure that him doing different things with his life is changing himself. You can do different things in your life. I've had periods of uh, extraordinary underactivity and then periods of extreme busyness. And I don't think that means an entire personality alteration. Yeah, but I've seen you in both those periods and I'd say you approach both the same. (laughs) You remain true to yourself. And I'm not sure that he, you know, if she doesn't think that his approach to that element of his life is right, I'm not sure he can change it. But maybe if he had a bit more of a plan, maybe he's like, okay, I can kind of think about what I want to do because I have enough money to pay the rent for a while. What do I want to do and how do I do it? And what what represents some direction where she's thinking, who is this person that I'm opting into a life with? That's the kind of thing you want to know. So she might be like, in a few years' time, will I be living with a 40-year-old Jeff Lebowski? Because it was kind of cute when he was in his 20s. And I was a student, but in middle age, it won't be cute. But he might turn into mature country and Western style Jeff Bridges. I mean, oh, hello. That's cool, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. A lot of women into that, including my wife, by the way. She'll watch anything with Jeff Bridges. Oh, really? So, what we're saying yeah. is just use Jeff Bridges as your life icon, but choose a different film, Jeff Bridges. Sure. Yeah. But you also have uh, some writing style, sad luck. So, I think what you could do is pitch a book based on you making over your life in the style of different Jeff Bridges films. That's a good idea. Yeah, I'd read that. Do you think the grand gesture fly to Australia and surprise her thing would work? Or do you think she's trying to say to him, it's definitely over? Well, both. I don't mm. think that's mutually exclusive. Okay. You know, I think uh, it, it, it raises your hand. Like, you know, she'll have to have a reaction to it. You are imposing yourself upon her. So, of course, she's going to react to it. But I'm not sure it's going to change what she fundamentally believes. As you say, there may be another man or lady on the scene that she's not telling you about. Right. So. Uh, I just think, you know, yes, okay, temporarily, uh, it gives you a bit more of a chance. But ultimately, you know, once the holiday bit has gone, and we're back to normality again, you're the same guy, and she wants a change. Okay, so maybe instead of that, spend some of the money on yourself. So maybe you go on a life changing trip to somewhere different, or hire a life coach, find some direction, try and try and sell your acrylic paintings. Well, we hope uh, sad luck's luck gets a bit better listeners if you want to listen to something a little more cheerful about love we recommend the answer me this love album a one hour special of questions all about love and sex and dating and uh, your sexy body parts buying sexy clothes for your mum uh squirting that's in it schoolgirl fetishes <laughs> it's not often you hear that being used in an album cell is it so someone who i think has got more than one hole in their penis 
That is in there, and it is available for Valentine's Day. Now's the time to buy it for your significant other. Get them really revved up and raring to go. And like all our albums, you can find that at answermethisstore.com and on Amazon and on iTunes. And is it suitable for children? I would say not. No. Just FYI. Imagine an hour of us talking about sex and ask yourself whether that's suitable for children. You didn't even need to ask us. Yeah, you're capable of deductive reasoning, listeners. (laughs) The juice! And we will be back on the first Thursday in February with another all-new episode of Answer Me This. And for that, we need your questions, listeners. All of our contact details are on our website, answermethispodcast.com. And whilst you're on the internet, why not check out our other projects as well, Uh, including uh, my magazine podcast, The Modern Man, uh, that is at modernmanwith2ends.co.uk. Uh, in the latest edition, all new for 2019, uh, it is part five of my annual conversation with Tom Price and Stuart Goldsmith about our mutual fatherhoods. Gosh, so the first part predated you being a father. Uh, it did, indeed, yes. Mm. All our anxieties about becoming dads uh, were then realised across the subsequent <laughs> episodes. You can listen to my podcast, The Illusionist, at theillusionist.org. The last episode is a quiz that you can play along with as you listen, which is a bit of fun. It's novel. It's learning through play. Also, Martin and I are doing a brand new Illusionist live show at SF Sketchfest in San Francisco. That's what the SF stands for. On the 25th of January at the Brava Theatre. So uh, tickets are on sale now. You should come along. And when you say brand new, so if someone went to see your live Illusionist stage show last year, is it completely different? Yep. Like 80% yep. new or 100% All new? All new. Wow. Well, Martin and I are both there, so that's old. But uh, Yeah, okay. That's 98% new. <laughs> and Martin? Oh, yeah, you can listen to uh, Song by Song, the podcast in which we talk about the music and film of Tom Waits at songbysongpodcast.com. And just a quick message for those of you who uh, were emailing us over the festive period asking if you could donate to the show or do we have a Patreon uh, the answer is you've always been able to donate to the show. We just don't tend to talk about it very much because we're English. Um, but I would like to take the opportunity to say thank you to Laura for a very kind gift on PayPal. She pledged a very lovely amount. So thank you very much for that. Much appreciated. Thanks, Laura. And all the links to donate to the show, if you want to do that, no pressure, we're English, as I say, are on <laughs> answermethisstore.com and answermethispodcast.com. So we will be back with a retro Answer Me This halfway through the month and then return on the first Thursday of February with a fresh new Answer Me This. Until then, bye! bye.